If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hello there, and thanks for uh, joining us again here on the poll's worrying revelations about depletion of the country's forest reserves as satellite imagery is revealing more details than about 1,400 uh, deforestation alerts have been triggered. Uh, we have details uh, of uh, the latest Global Forest Watch monitoring report, which is revealing a worrying 22% loss of the country's forest cover in just 20 years. Also, we're focusing on transport this afternoon as the driver and vehicle licensing authorities beginning the replacement of all PVC cards for driver's license and will declare all such licenses invalid by next year. 
There's more from uh, officials of the uh, Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority uh, who will be joining us later to explain the exercise and the entire process uh, to you here on the show. And uh, the presidential election petition court is making its uh, judgment today uh, as a sitting is underway in Abuja, Nigeria. Already, uh, the court has dismissed an application by the Allied People's Movement, APM, uh, which was uh, filing and attempting to nullify the presidency of Bola Ahmed Tinubu, Nigeria's president. We'll get you the very latest from uh, Nigeria, plus more coming up here on The Pulse. It's always a pleasure to be with you. The Pulse is always brought to you by Global Communities, Digni Lu, Affordable Safe Sanitation for All. Uh, we're on DSTV Channel 421, Go TV Channel 125. Be my guest. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and MyJoyOnline.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with details shortly. I'm blessed to join you as independent, fearless, and credible. Please stay. Well, uh, we continue our campaign saying no to Galamse because uh, the latest we are get, gathering is that satellite imagery uh, re released by the International Forest Watchdog, Global Forest Watch, has revealed uh, more than 1,400 deforestation alerts in uh, just the last one week alone. Uh, this uh, actually capturing the disturbing loss of some 22% of the country's forest cover in the last 20 years. The body says majority of the loss occurred in the Ashanti region and western regions of the country where Galamse or illegal mining activities occurred the most. This afternoon on the polls, we're expanding the conversation uh, on you know protecting our forest cover in the wake of revelations also uh, coming on the back of the hotline documentary Forest and the Siege. Uh, we have excerpts of that documentary for you, plus uh, analysis uh, and conversation with our experts here on the show. But first, though, uh, let's uh, get to the details of this uh, latest report released by the Global Forest Watch, which we have on your screens right now, uh, pointing to, first of all, the fact that uh, as a country, uh, we had in all seven uh, mega hectares of natural forest cover, extending to some 30% of the landmass uh, area that we have as of the year 2000. But 22 years down the line, uh, Ghana has lost some 1.53 uh, megahectares of that forest cover. And that is the disturbing image that we're talking about. That's translating in all to some 22% of our forest cover, uh, a decrease uh, in what we had 20 years ago by uh, some 22%. Uh, now, beyond that as well, uh, we do know that uh, when you take a look at the map and the forest cover alerts that we're talking about, 3.9% of our tree cover uh, loss occurred in areas uh, which are dominant, uh, where, of course, the uh, dominant factors of, uh, you know, this uh, deforestation uh, is uh, prevalent. So you take a look at, uh, you know, the southern parts of the country, parts of Ashanti region, uh, you, you, of course, can't see from the map there that there's very significant level of deforestation taking place. Uh, and uh, as, as part of the driving factors, we know and understand that deforestation is accounting for some 3.9% uh, in all. And this is all according to the Global Forest Watch report, as we're pointing out to you. Beyond the forest cover that we have, the areas recording, you know, that, that speedy uh, loss of forest cover include the western and Ashanti regions uh, that are leading the chat here, uh, some uh, 536 um, hectares 
of land, uh, you know, uh, being lost there. And uh, in terms of uh, the Ashanti region, they are within the range of 356, eastern following through central and the Bono have for uh, areas uh, all responsible for in all 58 percent of the forest cover loss so that's the magnitude of challenge we're having experiencing much more uh, of these problems in uh, the western and ashanti region the translation of that is that uh, obviously the areas where we record much more of activities of illegal mining uh, you see a corresponding increase in the level of forest cover loss. But in all, government is seeking to create a, a buffer zone policy which will tackle largely issues of conserving wildlife, protecting, uh, you know, uh, re, uh, uh, to ge- regenerate and maintain forest cover. Uh, there's also the, the portion where government is targeting improving water quality because that's becoming a concern for many who are living in riverine areas and, of course, these uh, areas where illegal mining activities are very rampant. There's also the... Uh, for- led to this, which is talking about influencing uh, local climate, which is part of this whole, um, you know, raft of policies government is introducing under the uh, buffer zone policy in a bit to address this. Uh, so that's the policy approach government is using. And in fact, President Akufuado uh, has been speaking about this at the Africa Climate Change Summit, where he actually uh, defended the track record of his uh, government in fighting illegal mining. Uh, the president uh, talked about, you know, government's management of the uh, forest resources. And here's his view on the matter. We placed a ban on illegal mining, the phenomenon we call galance, which was destroying our water bodies, vegetation, and our forests. Some 20,000 young people have been engaged to plant more than 30 million trees in two years to create jobs and restore degraded land. These policy initiatives are already using positive results to the attainment of the SDG goals, particularly the goal of reducing our carbon emissions. Additionally, I've established an advisory group of prominent private sector chief executives were setting up a $100 million SDGs delivery fund and a $200 million green fund to complement government's efforts at tackling climate Okay, uh, the position of President Akufuandu there, uh, but Joy News' hotline documentary is pointing, uh, you know, to a different set of facts that we have on the ground, because uh, in the forest itself, there is distraction and it's becoming vast and wide. Erastus Asari Donko uh, has been to the Apamprama Forest Reserve, and here are excerpts of our hotline documentary. In the midst of all this destruction and the billions of dollars in gold taken from this area, communities remain the poorest. They brought in each other. And wired the town, so we thought we would be connected in about a year. Benenebin community, for instance, has yet to be connected to the national electricity grid. It has been reduced to poor infrastructure and a deprived community with few opportunities. Their farmlands are gone, forests degraded, water sources polluted and the attendant change in climatic conditions have affected farming. 
It is the forest that gives farmers in this area rain to farm. But now, if God doesn't intervene, we will not have the rains to grow our crops. The indigents of Benin share their dilemma. We've not gained anything. Look at our schools, toilets, and our town. We are helpless. When they come, they promise a lot of things, but they don't fulfill these promises. Meanwhile, Ghana has secured a $103 million World Bank loan to, among others, restore cocoa lands, engage the restoration of polluted water resources, and reclaim degraded forest lands, including the Apamprama Forest Reserve. Just before airing this report, we decided to go back to the Apampra to gauge the situation there. We found many Chinese miners are back to mine in the forest. Some have hit the ground mining, while others have set up camp to continue mining in the forest built for reclamation. You can see fresh excavators about eight drums of diesel. Uh, very shocking revelations there by Erastus Azaridonko, who's now uh, discovering more as we're learning of uh, Chinese nationals back in the forest reserves. And in, in fact, that's corresponding uh, to the level of uh, forest cover loss that we're experiencing in this very uh, latest report that we're seeing. Uh, it's a good time now to be bringing uh, in Nana Boachi Tumasi Ankara, who's project manager for Trop and Boss Ghana. Uh, that's a civil society organization focusing uh, on uh, forest cover uh, across the country. I will ask otherwise, uh, also convener for the Eco Conscious Citizens uh, joining us uh, via Zoom. Thank you, gentlemen uh, and uh, lady, for joining us. I will uh, let me start off with you because yesterday, uh, or you know, uh, we were having this conversation about uh, this whole campaign uh, to uh, ensure that we protect our forest cover. But the latest we're discovering out of this hotline documentary is, uh, you know, we, we keep losing more. Twenty-two percent as of now. And who knows what may happen in the next 10 or 5 years. I mean, for those who are not coming to terms with the likely effect, just paint that picture for us about the potential damage and, and what this means for our livelihoods. I mean, we all know that our forests are our lands. So just take it as, as a person and you are removing your lands. What on earth is going to happen to you? We also know how our forests protect against them. Um, against them, what shall I say, uh, um, flooding and disasters and so on and so forth. And as the lady in the video eloquently put it, it also um, aids the livelihood of people. I mean, I am angry. I'm extremely angry. I mean, what we are doing is supervising mass murder because we know the consequences of what we will do. And then to have the goal to sit at a conference and to say that the policies are working is beyond belief. It's just beyond belief. I mean, journalists have put their lives on the line, have gone and, you know, conducted these uh, documentaries. We can all see what is going on. And some are engaging in, uh, what shall I say, a fantasy world, pretending that policies are working. We know what to do and we should just do it. We've had Professor Frimpong Boateng's report, no action has been taken. We had the destruction for gold, no action has been taken. We have this current... Uh, documentary, what else do we need to wake up to the fact that we are supervising our own destruction? Because when the last tree dies, the last man dies. 
And then there is the question as to, you know, government policy and, and you know, the conviction by the president that the, policy are, the policies are indeed working. Uh, is it all bad or there, there are no successes at all to celebrate from what the I mean, blessed, let, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. I mean, we're living in, we're not living in an imaginary world where we want things to go in a particular way, but we're not prepared to take the steps that will give us the outcome we want. The president and all those in authority know the steps they should take if they want to have the desired outcome. How do we have our forest reserves invaded by Chinese and other uh, nationals? We even had the case in Setri where uh, three young people were shot and one was killed. And when the police came, they initially decided to arrest the brother of the deceased rather than the one who pulled the trigger, who was only arrested subsequently. How does this happen? How does this happen? It only happens because we've allowed it to happen. And we know our policies are not working because we're not putting them into practice. Look at the images you are showing us. Does it look like any policies are in place? Of course not. So as I said, I'm angry. It's one thing to do nothing, but then to sit at a conference and give an impression which is just an illusion, to me, is just unacceptable. Uh, what's your projection, really, uh, as to what the future holds? Uh, are we going to lo- lose more uh, looking at what's happening now? Well, unless we take the bull by the horns and have um, take the right steps, if we want to, instead of contemplating going to Niger and going to invade the place, what we need to do is focus on what is happening here. If we want to put the military there to get rid of all the illegal miners, and then what you can do is they use technology to alert you when... Um, there's entry into the forest reserves. You have communities that can be equipped to give you a notification, and then you deal with it. And then you make all forest reserves a no-go area. Repeal LI-2462, which does not help us in any way because it allows unfettered access to our forest reserve. Let's be clear. The fact that people have licenses doesn't mean that they are doing the right thing. So let's make our forests our forest reserves, no-go areas, repeal LI-2462, take control of our landscape, take control of our forest reserve. Uh, what should I say? Remove all those there right now and make sure you monitor, uh, implement the, um, what should I say, do something about Professor Frimpong Boateng's report. We know the people who are destroying our forest. The Chinese don't just come there. There are Ghanaians who are behind them. We know highly placed people who are supervising the destruction of our country. I mean, it's pure wickedness, pure wickedness, depriving people of their livelihood, of their source of water. They don't see anything from the destruction. A few people are making a lot of money. And then the World Bank is giving money, giving money for what? Money should stop coming until we put our act together because they are also being complicit by giving us money, which they know is not being used for the right purposes. Mm. Uh, let's see from Nana Buachi Chumasiankra, uh, from, from your reports, uh, of course, this is the Global Forest Watch report pointing at, at some 22% uh, forest cover loss. Uh, do, do you have any contrary figure or perhaps something pointing to uh, a more staggering revelations, uh, if we could put it as such? Okay, thank you. I would say I do not have any contrary figure, and neither do I have any cause to doubt the figures that are coming because of the prevailing actions and situation that we have in our country presently. And actually, what we know already has also been buttressed by what uh, your reporter has investigatively found out, which have been aired in the 
media space for everybody to see. So for me, the figure that is coming from Global Forest Watch is no news because it is something we are aware of based on these actions, including the, the uh, Galamse menace and other uh, deforestation-driven uh, activities, including illegal farms and all that. So for me to uh, hear about the figures that the Global Forest Watch is putting out, I think that uh, it is likely to be the truth, and I actually have no doubt about it, because the situation on the ground actually speaks to those figures. And so I think that it is right. Uh, but, but from your perspective, what, what's the driving factor, the major driving factor, uh, you know, pushing this? We're hearing of uh, deforestation, which is accounting for some 3.9%. Um, according to this report, beyond that, are there more factors? Illegal mining must, must, must be part of this. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, there are a number of factors in, in, in our country that drive deforestation. And one cannot discount the contribution of illegal mining, uh, which is commonly called Galamse in Ghana. However, that is not the only thing, but whatever it is, including uh, expansion of uh, farms into forest reserves, uh, uh, wildfires. But now we see more of the, the these anthropogenic or human-induced drivers working more which is uh, really uh, in our situation, the, the expansion of agricultural practices into forest reserves and also this Kalamse situation which is happening. And so for me, even though there are other minor uh, contributing activities like illegal logging, illegal logging is also contributing, but compared with the Kalamse and the vast nature of the destruction that Kalamse causes, you cannot compare that to even what we uh, we have always dreamed about the illegal logging, uh, and then probably in some areas, especially in the dry areas or the transition areas of Ghana, where fire is also prevalent. So I think that we should be much concerned with all these drivers, but most importantly, looking at the vast nature of the destruction that illegal or illegal mining cause to our forest. It is, it, is, it is most important that you really face it head on. Otherwise, uh, in, in the next decade, we might not uh, be able to point to any place it's called forest in Ghana. And government is running a policy of, you know, the green agenda. The t last target, I believe, was 5 million trees across the country. You've been doing some assessment on that as well. <laughs> It is interesting uh, that uh, we, we uh, our leaders keep calling some of these. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes 
only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Los mejores viajes. Nacen en la carretera Pero este Comenzará en tu mente ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado Para vivir Tu nueva aventura Nueva Ram 1500 Hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC and 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 then pattern themselves on the back that there are a lot being done even the approach i think the last time we spoke about it immediately after the green ghana uh, initiative i spoke clearly about it that the initiative is good but the approach is a, a, a bit uh, worrisome because even where they are planted you can you cannot monitor but then to have an effective uh, kind of uh, afforestation and reforestation program there should be a means of monitoring so that you can audit and know that you put in this much and this is how much is remaining. And so if you give the students to people and you do not know where they are going to plant it and physically monitor, then you, I, I wonder where in, in those times they were even mentioning figures as uh, survival. In fact, you cannot know the, the survival rate of your effort when you do not know the total number that were actually planted. And so their survival rate, they were calculating, were calculating survival rate over a, a number of seedlings supplied, which is very erroneous. Mm. Uh, actually, beyond that, uh, beyond that, I, I think that there is the, 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 the need to look at our actions and efforts when it comes to uh, enhancing carbon or putting uh, effort in greening our environment or our forest. Uh, how do you actually input something where you know that there are other leakages? So, for instance, you are you are telling farmers to integrate trees on their farms as a means of uh, enhancing carbon in, in landscapes in Ghana. However, you are allowing uh, a leakage through uh, illegal mining in, in, in our forest reserves. So how do you reconcile this? So for me, I think that it is a, a way of throwing dust into the eyes of the public. If we are not seen as stopping what is really causing the leakage, and if I say leakage, I mean drawing, uh, mm. causing the deforestation, yeah. and on one hand, uh, trying to 
create an impression that uh, we are inputting carbon or we are trying to enhance uh, our forest. That, that is okay. uh, a mere deception because uh, it, it, it cannot be done. Mm, okay. Uh, so I recall that uh, when this whole con- con- conversation around, um, you, you know, Green Ghana came up, uh, you had your own views about it. Government said, okay, uh, we're still scaling up the numbers. And we had another phase of the tree planting exercise. Did you participate? Are you happy about, you know, the gains we are making, at least just to show up the numbers and to reduce the loss, level of loss of forest cover? No, we did not take part in Green Ghana this year because we said the whole thing appeared to us to be a gimmick. We cannot be on one hand claim to be greening Ghana and then on the other hand passing, um, uh, what shall I say, you have EI-144 declassifying parts of Achimuta Forest and then um, Parliament in November 2022 goes and passes EI. Uh, mm. Mm. Uh- Uh, and we're grateful to you, uh, Wulasawa, and uh, of course, uh, Nana uh, Ankara, for joining us uh, on this whole conversation of illegal mining. I'm sure that we'll be back to the conversation again, but uh, we have, uh, you know, some news coming through which uh, we need to also uh, take a look at. There's uh, the new Patriotic Party uh, addressing a press briefing just the day after uh, former Trade and Industry Minister Alan Chirimanting pulled out of the race. Apanyamakin in your shorts there. committee will issue it for report. And on this, make the report known to the public after due consultation with stakeholders in the party. We have also received the withdrawal letter officially uh, by Honorable Chairmanty, and the party has accepted the withdrawal without prejudice. At this point, we as a committee would like to again remind all party members that this is an internal contest. There is no loser. There is no winner. We need to put our house in order to face the NDC come 2024. So we would urge party members to help their own party by way of their conduct. There is no need in using social media platforms to cast aspersions, insinuate, attack personalities, and all. We also urge aspirants to continue to use due process to address their concerns. They they should let their, their followers know that if they have issues, they should channel them to the elections committee. That is why we are here. And we have been meeting and listening, taking notes, hearing people, and we will not resolve on that uh, responsibility. So we want to give them that assurance. There is therefore no need for anybody to take the law into his own hands to say things and to do things that will hurt the interests of the party. We have only one MPP. For the time being, we have only one leader. That is Nanado Danko Akufuado. 
we have only one government headed by the same person as president of the republic and we are encouraging all party members to respect the authority of the party we have only one national chairman and one general secretary we should show them respect as they give direction to all of us and ensure that we do what is right in the best interest of the party thank you very much we heard you directing the aspirants not to engage the media why were you attempting to gag them yes anything more but we're told that the Honorable Kennedy in Japan has specific concerns about the referral of his conduct to the display. You were told by who? We have sources. Where? Where? Oh, come on. So you are trying to say that you have a fit columnist. Then that fit columnist has misled you. If you are saying you have a fit columnist, amongst us, I'm saying that he has misled you. You said you have sources within our meeting. So you are saying that whilst we are meeting some members of our meeting came to tell you something well be that as it may that pep member so-called member has misled you there was no such thing maybe at the risk of being repetitive we have met them as i said we've listened to them We've heard them. We shall come out with our reports. And the engagement was fruitful. I mean, each time we met, we the issues raised were all addressed. It's been that cordial. And I'm saying that we continue to encourage them to use the elections committee platform for their concerns to be addressed. And in doing yes, yes. He said that you accept the withdrawal letter without prejudice. In this same letter, he says the elections you conducted were skewed to the favor of a particular candidate. You see, when I said without prejudice, it's as simple as that. Um, so far, those who have concerns have brought the concerns to us. Um, Mr. Chairman, for the time being, hasn't said he's not a member of the party. He hasn't said so. So now that we've received his uh, withdrawal letter, we now wait for him to bring us some uh, additional information, if he so desire, to furnish us with additional information regarding some of the concerns that he has raised. So we are waiting. Would you, would you request for that? Would he be replaced? Or you need five? No, no, no. The constitution hasn't said so. If somebody Just for purpose of clarity here. You said you agreed with the electoral commission on some decisions going to, going to November. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say, I didn't say that. What is it? I didn't say that. You pay attention to me. You are, you are, you are. What I said was that in the discussion, Today, with EC and um, and uh, aspirants and their reps, we deliberated on some proposals. Proposals aimed at incorporating same in the guidelines. Can you share these proposals with us? When we are done.
with everything. We'll make known to you in full the guidelines for the November 4th elections, like we did previously in the, in the superdelegate uh, uh, process. We shared the guidelines with you, okay? So, again, we assure you, that's why you, you're here. We don't want to waste your time. We don't want you to come and not get any information. It's part of the bona fides of democracy to work with the media. And we will continue to share relevant information with you. Was it part of today's agenda? We have agreed to proceed with a, the guidelines. And like I said, when we are done, would again serve you notice of the guidelines. And soon thereafter, we'll proceed with the balloting. So, uh, Blazers, that is a spokesperson for the Elections Committee of the NPP, uh, Alexander Afeyomakin, giving a breakdown of what happened before uh, the Elections Committee and the aspirants. Uh, we know that today the agenda for the meeting was to at least iron out some of the challenges um, that the, the aspirants may have, then they'll proceed to the balloting. But as it stands now, the balloting has been postponed uh, because um, there wasn't a, a truce reached on the proposals by some of the aspirants. Mr. Feyermarkin wouldn't tell us what exactly these proposals were, but what he's saying is that they would sit around it and when they agree on the modalities or guidelines for the upcoming November elections, then they will communicate to the media on the next step to take, including the balloting. So as it stands now, the balloting has not been conducted, and we're not given the opportunity to talk to the aspirants. We attempted speaking to the aspirants, and they were saying no comment, because that was a directive from the elections committee. Um, I can't say that at the time that Kennedy Japan was moving out, he actually used a different door to move out of the the MPP premises here so that they, I mean, avoid media attention and all. The second person was Mr. Fred Owari from the Baumia camp and he said he had no comment to make. So um, there was an earlier engagement with the spokesperson for uh, Dr. Fria Kotu. Uh, once he was about to address the media, uh, the committee spokesperson, Mr. Fred Markin, directed him not to engage the media because that was the communication given to them. So as we speak now, the balloting has been postponed and the aspirants have been directed not to engage the media. And that was the address Mr. Feyermarkin has given to the media. Bless it. I mean, it's clear from that engagement that some of the uh, aspirants do have concerns uh, and, and are, are beginning to raise that with the elections committee. And, and that's uh, following through uh, with, uh, you know, the official letter also coming through from uh, the camp of Alan Koja Chairman Singh indicating his withdrawal from the race. But... Some other candidates also have concerns today. Uh, what are we learning from our sources within? So at the moment, we don't have the details of the concerns that the uh, aspirants are raising. But we do know that after the National Council and National Executive Committee meeting, there were resolutions passed, including government officials uh, becoming polling agents for the aspirants. 
uh, we understand that there are also issues that have to do with the disciplinary action against some of the agents or supporters of the aspirants and there were these were some of the proposals that were put before the committee however they didn't reach a truce and um, that is why it is intriguing that they didn't allow or they are directing the aspirants not to talk to the media at least we could have had the full details from the aspirants what their exact concerns were but at a stance now the elections committee asked that they should remain silent and not engage the media so uh, if you you could realize from the department of the aspirants here that they were not comfortable I approached Dr. Fria Koto, he didn't seem so happy about the process, reading from his body demeanor. And some of his assigns as well, same as um, the, uh, Mr. Kennedy Japon, whom before I could realize he has sat in his car and left the premises of the MPP headquarters. So uh, there, there's some level of tension between the elections committee and the aspirants because they, they, they were not able to reach their demands ahead of the balloting. A reason the balloting has not taken place. I must also add that I attempted talking to the EC boss, Dr. Sribo Kweku, but he also said no comment. I insisted he wouldn't comment further on it. So um, information is actually sketchy about the demands of these aspirants, but what we have been told by the committee is that they have taken their proposals and work on them and later communicate to the media the next step to take so far as the November 4 election is concerned. Uh, and Sami, are there any indications that there, there may be another meeting before November 4 uh, just to address the concerns of these aspirants? Uh, surely, because the balloting has not been done, we know that it, they cannot proceed. So they have to trash out all these issues. Um, get some modalities or um, the guidelines for the November 4 election before they can go into it. So the balloting is very critical among the four aspirants. We know Alan has already pulled out from the race. So that is the hurdle they have to cross now. First, agree on the modalities, proceed to the, um, the balloting, and after that, they will now continue to the November 4 election. So uh, the hurdle for them to cross now has to do with the balloting. Until that is done, they may not be able to proceed further to a November 4 election, in which the committee is working around the corner to have them trashed out, and then they can move forward to the elections. Uh, this meeting will be held without uh, you know, the involvement of uh, Alan Kujicharmating. Uh, did, did, did we spot any of his reps today, at least appearing at the party's headquarters, uh, to register the concerns he's raising? Uh, not exactly. I didn't see Alan or any of his assigns here. It's just the representatives of the four aspirants that are now left in the race. Dr. Fri Yakuto and his special aide came. Kennedy Japan was also around. Adainimo, I'm told, sent a representative here. Uh, so these were the people that were around. But as for Alan and his team, uh, I, I, I can't say for a fact that I saw them taking part in this meeting. Mm. Uh, my colleague Samuel Mbua uh, joining us from the NPP's headquarters uh, where balloting was supposed to uh, have been done uh, ahead of the November 4 presidential race of the party. That's not happening anytime soon uh, because uh, there are some concerns, as we understand, uh, being raised by the uh, last four going into 
uh, the race. Uh, we're not certain if all the aspirants are the ones raising the concerns or uh, just the number of them are doing so, uh, which has frustrated the process today. Uh, the EC unable to ballot for the candidates uh, for that exercise to happen on November 4. Uh, there's a lot more unfolding on this story because the NPP MP4, um, Doma East, uh, that uh, Paul Chumberima, uh, says that the decision of Alan Koji to actually uh, withdraw the, uh, from the party's uh, presidential primaries is disappointing. Uh, the former trade minister cited violence against his agents and supporters and unfair competition as the reasons for which uh, he's withdrawing from the race. Uh, speaking to journalists in parliament, Paul Chumberima explained that Alan should have stayed on. In the first place, uh, for me, I would be disappointed in, in our one of our respected and reputable politicians in, in our country and to represent in our party, somebody that we all look up to. Clearly, uh, it's a personal decision and we need to respect that. However, however, I mean, there were, there were a few group of people who thought, oh, no, we, we can associate ourselves with the dreams of... of, of, of of Honorable Alan Chamartin, and we believe that he's someone that can help this country and help our party. So I strongly believe for the sake of those people, um, he could have gone through the whole process. I mean, sometimes I appreciate that, yeah, he may have gone through, sorry, his, 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 his supporters or agents may have gone through some, some of challenges, or, but for the sake of that person, because now, somebody sits somewhere and say, ah, so if you have died, what have happened? The man doesn't care about you. But he was dying for a cause. But the cause was jettisoned along the way by the person who holds the, 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 the right to the cause. Which, for me, I think we could have done better. But obviously, you can't say much about it. It's a personal decision. He has given reasons. He said very soon he will tell us his um, political decision. We are, we, are, we, are, we are young ones. Clearly, he, he's an astute politician who is a very great personality that we revere a lot. So we, he may have a very good reason. But some of the reasons that was stated in, the, in his letter for me, if it's that based on that, because for that agent even going to the state of fighting, with his life to make sure he protect that ballot should have been one um, 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 strength for him to say, okay, listen, regardless of whatever it is, let's go through to the end. Well, for now, speculations arrived that uh, Alan Kujicharamating could decide to run as an independent presidential candidate for the 2024 elections. A move uh, analysts say will spell doom for. Uh, the NPP, uh, but the NP believes that Alan Kujicharamating will stick with the party in the effort to break the eight. In Ghana, we are actually looking for the third force to come. We are waiting for the third force. And I don't know who is going to bring the day. I don't see the third force in 2024 elections. The third force is not in 2024 elections. So, uh, our advice, and I know it's not our advice. I know for a fact that Honorable Alan Chamantin will not do that. That will not happen. Uh, I can confidently tell you that he's not going to go oh, uh, independent or anything. Never. He will not do that. 
but we are waiting for the third force for this country. And I expect your election headquarters uh, here at Joe News to, of course, bring you all of the updates that you need uh, in the run-up to the MPP's presidential uh, race. Our top story uh, here on the polls has got to do uh, with a conversation on Ghana's uh, green agenda. Uh, recent reports pointing to some 20, 22% loss of forest cover across the country. Uh, in spite of these challenges, President Akufando is confident that his government's policies are working towards greening Ghana. We placed a ban on illegal mining, the phenomenon we call Galamse, which was destroying our water bodies, vegetation, and our forests. Some 20,000 young people have been engaged to plant more than 30 million trees in two years to create jobs and restore degraded land. These policy initiatives are already using positive results to the attainment of the SDG goals, particularly the goal of reducing our carbon emissions. Additionally, I've established an advisory group of prominent private sector chief executives who are setting up a $100 million SDGs delivery fund and a $200 million green fund to complement government's efforts at tackling climate change. And President Akufado speaking there at the uh, Africa Climate Summit happening in East Africa, uh, Kenya to be precise. I will also ask uh, national coordinator for the Equal Conscious Citizens. And I will, uh, of course, uh, truncate the conversation at the point you are building up on what the way forward should be and the Green Gun Agenda, the fact that you did not participate uh, in, in the tree planting exercise for this year, simply because you have some challenges with, with, with the approach government is adopting on all of this. Exactly. And also, we did not think that um, government is, was actually serious about the Green Ghana. You cannot be serious about Green Ghana. On the one hand, you know, all the publicity, we are planting X million number of trees. What happens to the trees? I mean, we had reports of some right. of the trees being munched upon by, um, you know, goats and so on and so forth. But more importantly, if we are interested in greening Ghana, why haven't we done anything about Primpong Boateng's report? We have asked for a, um, <laughs> I've just had a mind, my mind going blank. We have asked for an independent inquiry to go on, a public inquiry. And then we are concerned about no action being taken about the documentary, Destruction for Gold. People put their lives on the line. They, they made a documentary. We could see those who are aiding the um, illegal miners to destroy our forests. To date, what has happened to them? Then we know what Akonta mining did to the Tano Nimiri Forest Reserve. What action has been taken? So, so long as no action is being taken when people vandalize our forest reserves, how do we take greening Ghana seriously? And we've also said that right now there should be a pause on community mining because as far as most people are concerned, it's cloaking illegality with legality. It's just Galamse with a, you know, called a different name. So we've asked for a certain number of measures to be taken so that we can see that we are actually serious about confronting um, deforestation and replanting. Otherwise, it's just like a gimmick. We bandy figures around. We talk about how much money we receive, jobs, jobs for planting, all sorts of things. But when you go on the ground, yesterday, I mean, watching the documentary, 
um, our forests under siege. Anybody who loves Ghana would weep. What on earth is going on? And so these are the reasons why we didn't think it was worth it taking part in Green Ghana. We thought that if the government is serious, it will begin to do something about all the work that has been done so far, identifying some of the causes of the destruction of our forest and doing something about it. It's not prepared to do anything about it. There's no point in dancing to their tune. I see. Um, the issues surrounding justice for the Ghanaians, uh, you know, allegedly shot by some foreign um, nationals who are engaged in activities of uh, illegal mining or mining, generally speaking. Uh, you've, uh, you know, started that campaign and it's been days now. Any updates on this very story? And for those who do not know about the story, refresh us and uh, try and give us some updates on what's happened so far. Yes, the update is that uh, in, um, as I said, I've got a mind blank today. I'm so angry about what is going on and how Ghanaians are being taken for a ride because we know our measures are not working. So to go to a conference and pretend that the measures, if I don't even know what measures are working, when we can see the devastation, it's just, um, I can't even find the words. But yes, in Sechri, um known as Sechri Abroad, the young people there decided to protect their community from illegal mining. There was illegal mining going on by Chinese nationals. So they went there and uh, were taking what the president said seriously about being active citizens and not um, spectators. Unfortunately, they were shot at. And uh, according to the community, the person who shot actually meant to kill them. Whatever the case, one person was killed and two others were wounded and are in critical condition, according to our sources. When the police came onto the scene, what they did was to arrest the brother of the deceased person. And it was after a while that the um, perpetrator, the one who shot the, uh, the deceased teenager, he was 18 years old, we are told, was arrested. In between, we called the... Uh, the original commander, to find out what was going on. He assured us that the accused had been arrested and was in custody, and uh, he wasn't quite sure about what had happened on the ground because we, we were telling him that our information is that the brother of the deceased was arrested at first and wanted to know why because he reminded us of what happened at Asemkrom where, again, the young people decided to protect their environment, not to not to be speaking and making speeches, but to actually protect their environment. And they were rather arrested. And uh, our information is that the illegal miners were carrying on. And we can see all the evidence about the Black Vault at so many places where, despite complaints, illegal mining is still going on. So to come back to the three teenagers, we want justice for them. We want the perpetrators, we are told they're in custody, we, we, we believe that to be the case. We want them to be prosecuted, convicted, jailed. We also want compensation for the families and for those who are in hospital as we speak. And we want assurances that the police who are mandated to protect will protect our communities from these menace of illegal miners. And uh, this kind of incidents will not keep happening because we are told that it's been happening around the country. These um, illegal miners being armed and shooting at whoever chooses to um, resist them. So that's what we are saying. They must be justice for them and for other people who are being assaulted by illegal miners, whilst our authorities appear to stand idly by doing nothing to protect them. 
Well, uh, Awalasawa, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, this is just the beginning of that story. We'll keep uh, monitoring closely and bringing some updates here on the Joy News Channel. Grateful. And now, artificial intelligence as we know it is developing rapidly across the world. What's the positioning of Africa going into the future of AI? I have my guest join us shortly. You're on the pulse. We'll be back. Hello, my name is Abeiku Agri Santana. If there's anything that makes my life so easy, it is my bag. I love hanging out with my boys' boys at our usual fufu joint. But even without cash, we still they chop better with Ecobank Mobile. No matter the time of day, my bank helps me stay in touch with my beautiful wife whenever she's away. And when my beautiful wife is in town, she never misses out on her favorite TV shows because I'm able to pay up all my TV subscriptions from the comfort of my mobile phone. Whenever she has to get groceries too, my bank makes it cashless and convenient. And the part my wife loves the most is when my bank makes it possible and easy for her to shop from any part of the world without moving. <laughs> Welcome to the smart world of Ecobank. Download Ecobank Mobile from Google Play Store or the app store and discover the smart way to bank. Ecobank, the Pan-African bank. Daddy, daddy, oh, this tank is big. Yes, that's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow. It has a working surface on it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I can see S-I-N-T-E-X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil That's not true. But why? Why? <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Smile, hmm? Look lively, okay? Smile, smile. Is the money too small? A bad stomach ruins your day. Don't let it. Take Gastron, your most effective antacid, for the relief of symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence, and indigestion. Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go. Mwah. Can you bring down the smiles more? <laughs> Gastro, effective relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been written and approved by the Hello there. To provide timely information and to explain educational reforms and to discuss school models and interventions, the Ministry of Education, in partnership with the Teacher Education Journal, presents to you the first ever education TV talk show, The Edu Talk Show. The Edu Talk Show keeps you informed and updated on trends in the world 
of education. The Ghanaian teacher is so versatile. Provide him the opportunity, train him, and that teacher will perform wonders. Where are the women? They are doing very well academically, but they're not in the sciences and all of that. So technology is missing a lot more women that they could have had. You need to tell the parents, at the moment, what you are getting is, is covering only an aspect of your child's education. And therefore, it's very difficult for you to make any decision with the limited information you have. We still have more to do mm. when it comes to safe school. Mm. So join us as we speak to our guests on reforms taking place in Ghana's education sector. My name is Blessed Sugan and I am your host. Tras un día de lucharla, te mereces una recompensa, una modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Así que sírvete esta dorada y refrescante lager, porque tú sabes que cuanto más grande sea la lucha, mejor sabrá la recompensa. Pusiste las horas, el esfuerzo, el trabajo duro, Tú eres un luchador y esta cerveza es para ti. Modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Todo con medida importada por Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. And thanks for staying with us uh, here on the Joy News Channel. Now, artificial intelligence, as we know it, is developing rapidly across the world, and Africa cannot be left behind. That's the view and the push of the Deep Learning in Daba, a non-profit organization working across, uh, you know, the continent to enhance skills, create African content, and also, uh, you know, curate local solutions to accelerate the achievement of national and global development goals in a bid to ensure that Africa positions its youth to harness the transformative power of that technology. Well, joining us in studio now is Delali Agbanyega, Senior Data uh, Science Lead for Shopify USA uh, and also General Chair of Deep Learning in Daba. Uh, joining us in studio is Shakir Mohammed, co-founder of Deep Learning in, da in Daba uh, and, uh, of course, he's a staff researcher at Google Deep Minds in London. Thank you all, gentlemen, for joining us uh, here on the polls. Delali, the last time you, you came uh, onto the show, you were very much positive about STEM. You know, the fact that science and technology has the power to transform a nation. How do we situate that in the context of artificial intelligence? Because it's a new area. You know. Yeah, um, artificial intelligence truly really is a new area. Um, and it's the, the basis of that is, again, it's a science field. Yeah. Uh, and it has, to, it has to do with really uh, working with a computer or programming the computers in a way that they can, they can do things that we mm -hmm. think that they are intelligent. Okay. Um, that's like a broader, broader definition of artificial intelligence. And I think that this is the way to go right now. Uh, you know, thinking of chat GPT, I think that's a popular thing that, <laughs> you know, usually you can, people can relate to that yeah. because they have actually experienced uh, things that uh, AI can do. And I think that Africa is in a very good position if you think about most of the challenges that we face and the fact that AI started from the West. I think Africa is in the right position to actually harness some of those things now if we can actually build the right foundations, uh, especially for our youth. Yeah, I see. And Shakir, here's the point. There's already a global divide in terms of technology, the infrastructure itself, the global north, you know, leading with all the kinds of technological advancements you can think of. Will Africa catch up if, if you know, we're to go fully AI in, in the coming years? 
It's a very common question to think about either leapfrogging or needing to catch up. And I think there's no reason for us not to be optimistic about either catching up or developing or taking a very different path to how we go about doing things. I think AI needs to be understood. There is the question of data, there is software, they're coming together, they're being targeted towards different kinds of problems. So I think in some way what we want is not to catch up, not to build the same kinds of things, to build things that are specific for the health challenges that we are seeing across our countries, the kind of climate change, the previous segment you had was all about deforestation, using it for those kind of problems which are very specific, very localized, very centered in the values of the people that we're living mm. in. And, so in some sense, and maybe my question is stemming from, you know, the, the generic misconception that you find with AI as a technology. The feeling that, well, it's wiping out human intervention entirely and solely bringing uh, artificial intelligence-led solution to all of our problems. Is that, you know, the way this technology works? Um, I can start, um, <laughs> not entirely. Yeah. I think this is a general uh, uh, you know, debate yeah. that's going on. Mm-hmm. I personally uh, believe that AI is here to actually uh, make our life easier. Okay. You know, AI cannot work on its own. We have to build it so we can build it res- responsibly. Oh, really? Because, because the feeling out there is, okay, you tell it what you want and you, and you get the response. That, that's all there is to it. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it's not really that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like you know, humans are building, just like any other technology, we build it so we can build it the way we want yeah. to solve the problem that we want it to solve. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that uh, you know, AI is not coming to do anything harmful if done properly. Yeah. Now, if not done well, then th- those are questions that we need to answer yeah, or things that we need to put in place so that it's actually done the right way. Uh, and that's why I'm grateful that, uh, of course, you're running this deep learning in Daba. How will that be part of the you know, challenge you're trying to solve? Yeah, so I think the challenge that we have again, going back to your previous question, is how do we build that kind of capacity to develop the kinds of solutions? And so the deep learning in Daba is one part of the kind of broader ecosystem that we need. And its mission is to strengthen machine learning across Africa. What that means is we need to build communities within Ghana and beyond and across our continent. We need to create new kinds of leaders, and we need to recognize those leaders. And I think that's a a magical engine of communities, leaders, recognition, and they build each other. And they will gain the kinds of skills, build the kinds of connections. And um, this week we are here in Accra, Mm -hmm. and there are almost 800 people from across our continent, and they're building that kind of skill, network, and leadership that's actually needed to develop the kinds of tools. Uh, Dalani, in terms of practicality, what what were some of the activities you'll be engaged in uh, just to build capacity on the continent when it comes to AI? Yeah, uh, so three major things we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is like our uh, Indaba. Yeah. So Ghana has Indaba as Ghana. Okay. What we are doing this week is the mother of all Indabas, okay. right? But, so you uh, have everybody coming. We have everybody from different countries okay. coming. But in Ghana specifically, mm-hmm. we are teaching people how to program, how to build mm-hmm. uh, machine learning models to solve sp- specific problems. Yeah. We are also connecting people with mentors that will guide them. Uh, through their, their, their journey to make sure that what they are building, any help that they need, uh, you know, we can provide. We are, we are bringing in people that can actually invest in the younger ones to, to build relevant technology. So we start from the grassroots. So we, yeah. we see ourselves as a grassroots movement, uh, you know, really connecting people in the communities. Uh, so in Ghana in particular, we also do quarterly events where we actually showcase things that we've built, the problem that we are solving, 
the solutions that it's, it's, it's given to, to, to people. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, you know, one of the things that we do. And particularly about the schools, because uh, if you are to start, you are to start with a younger generation so we can build the momentum. How do you intend to, you know, work with the schools, work with more stakeholders to, to get this, Delani? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, and we are, we are hosting this today uh, at the University of Ghana, right, this, this yeah. conference. So usually the Indaba, by design, we, we work with universities. Uh, and so that's one way. So the Indaba itself encourages us to work with universities. I think that there are additional things that we, we can do, which is basically for me, you know, industry, academia, partnerships, uh, maybe working with universities to refine their cost structure because you have people in research, people in industry, yeah. and then people in academia. So how can you actually bring all of this together? So is the industry-academia partnership to yeah. ensure that the structure of the courses that the schools are teaching are practical and make the most sense? Okay, we'll talk about the conference happening this weekend, some of the outcomes we're already seeing, but uh, Shakir, many are still skeptical about even the technology itself. For those who do not believe in the future of AI, What's that one major factor to convince us, or at least if there are more, just to convince that indeed this is the future and this is what technology will become? Um, I actually, if there are people who are skeptical, yeah. I don't think I would want to convince them <laughs> otherwise, because yeah. I think there are genuine concerns mm -hmm. today around either employment or kind of working conditions or forms of injustice yeah. or dispossession, inequality, that's, that people are are asking us to confront in certain kinds of ways. But I will say to people that we today are facing challenges that we have never faced before. The complexity of the challenges are also not single issue. Climate change is also affecting the yeah. way we are dealing with food, which is affecting how we create jobs and grow our economies. And so what we do need is then to bring every form of tools, intellectual resources, intellectual power, industry, uh, thinking together. And AI, I think, is a part of that, and for us not to use that would be for us to hold ourselves back to not want to fully address in all the ways that we can the kind of... Yeah, we were talking about the schools earlier. Uh, in as much as students would want to embrace this technology, it's becoming like a cheat for many of the students who are using it to also <laughs> write exams and pass. Uh, these may be some of the you know, genuine challenges you're pointing yeah. to, I believe. The questions of how education yeah. is changing mm -hmm. is important, but at the same time, you know... That example of the chatbot is so, so powerful, but think about all the other things that are going on. We face many kinds of what are called neglected diseases across our African countries. We can use AI to deal with a new age of dealing with the proteins and finding drugs and new drug discovery. We are facing droughts or issues of dealing with farming. We use AI both to help find diseases, diagnose them, give solutions, predict the forecast and future weather. And so I think there are many things which people don't see. So maybe part of our job, yeah. part of the work of the Indaba this week is to elevate those other cases that actually show value, benefit to, to our communities. Uh, Dalali, you've been engaging all stakeholders uh, together with Shakir. What are some of the outcomes, uh, you know, initial concerns and, you know, the, the positives that, that you'd want to highlight? Yeah, the biggest concern is... Uh, People are thinking, okay, what happens after the event? Yeah. Right. What? How can What's we keep this? What? What? You know, how can we keep this moving? And we are already putting measures in place. So, uh, in about as Ghana, for example, we have like reps uh, in each region of the country, and our goal is to have like local meetups. 
and that way people can connect at where you know at where they are. And then uh, we have uh, mentorship, so you know we are securing funds for people to really go and and, and learn from others. Um, the other thing that uh, is a challenge uh, to people is okay, you know, how can we get the government involved? Because yeah. uh, you know we are kind of a non-for-profit organization, yeah. and we know in Africa that for anything to really fly, you we need, need a government support. Also to come you know, so that's one of the things that we are considering. So, you know, I'm sure several leaders are listening to us, so we need that support from the government. That way we can carry, uh, you know, our mission. Okay, so let's open up the, the conversation about policy. If we're to consider policy measures, practically what would you, in which areas would you want to see that, you know, play? And just before we came yeah. here, we left a session which was actually talking about Ghana's AI strategy okay. and the policy that will come forward. And policy is taking many different forms these mm -hmm. days. So part of your policy is about how we invest in universities and to create that kind of research, development and innovation infrastructure that's needed. Another part is around how will we check that the things we say should be working actually work. So that's the work of technical standards, and many countries need to work on standards. And I think the, the other part, which is the challenge, is that single countries, you know, as we were talking about the north, divide between global north and global south, we need to cooperate more with our partner countries, with our neighbors, because it is through cooperation that we will actually pull the resources we need together, pull the computing power, pull the money, pull the people together. And so I think uh, another major part will be around cooperation. And then, of course, there are all the issues of privacy, data security, onshoring, data governance. Um, yeah, but I think it's a good, a good space going forward. Dalali, anything of, of concern to you in terms of policy? Um, yes, I know at the same time. I, I think that Ghana has started a lot of good work here, uh, like Shakir was saying. We know that there's their work going on. We have been invited even to those discussions. So representatives of X were participants in the session that uh, they discussed policies, what should we put in place, how can we make sure that AI is doing what it's supposed to do, it's not biased. I'm that. not even sure we have a policy. The last time, I guess there was a debate on the floor of parliament about this, but no concrete policy as of now. No, that yes. At least it's I'm not draft, aware. It's, it's a draft policy it, okay, now. Right. So okay. I'm hoping that before the end of the year, based yeah. on what I was told mm -hmm. uh, in, in, you know, with some of the participants, yeah. I believe that before the end of the year, something will be presented you know, for, 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 for review and approval. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that will also give people the confidence that, okay, you know, this can be done in the right way uh, and, and will do only the, the good part and will minimize any risk. Yeah, yeah. Even if we were to de develop that, uh, that, that will reinforce the conversation about peer review uh, because I'm not sure Ghana entirely has the capacity to know the scope of the technology and what kind of policies to be, you know, formulating to address the challenges that may come with the AI? Shakir, the, the dangers there, you know, about, you know, collaborations, um, you know, intergovernmental collaborations and all that. How, how crucial will that be to the future of policymaking? Um, I think it, it will be vital because the Internet, which is the basis of all of this, yeah. is a connected source. Data doesn't know borders the way people are restricted by borders. So I think it will continue to be vital that we do cooperate and to agree. If we want to, we do have values as countries which are different, which need to support specific needs, but so we also then need to agree. So I think that will be um, a vital part and we can't succeed without it. Any message to parents, uh, Delari? You know, they're all watching you. These are tech buffs. Maybe they'll describe you as such. But why should people to be, I mean, why do we need to encourage more and more people, especially the youthful population, to take advantage of AI? 
Um, yes, the, the last thing I will say is that AI has come to stay. Okay. Um, we may have debate about it, and, but there are several uh, challenges we have in Africa that we believe that AI, good AI can help us solve. So my, my message to uh, you know, the parents that are watching is you know, encourage your, your, your children who, who, who actually like science to, to pursue it, to take courses uh, in these areas, build foundations in mathematics, computer programming and computer engineering, and be curious. Let them be curious. Let them, let them try things. And you know, with that, they should also get mentors around, which, which we can also support. And with that, I believe that we can we can actually together uh, build something great. Indeed. Uh, and of course, it's just the beginning of a long week. Uh, I'm sure by Friday you'll be wrapping up the event, correct? Saturday. Uh, oh, okay. So this weekend. Uh, and so I will be there to support you. But thank you. Uh, Shakiru, you have any final words to share with us? Um, I'll just say it's uh, an exciting time. Mm. But each of us, we should not think that AI is just like a train that's moving yeah. on its own. We can make choices. And now is the time for us to make yeah. those choices. Uh, the future is uh, AI. Thanks to Delali and Shakir for joining us uh, here on the show. And we know that uh, the Pro Vice Chancellor of the University of Ghana, Professor Gordon Awandari, is uh, urging the government to, as a matter of urgency, put in place measures to operationalize the uh, Science and Innovation uh, Fund to promote uh, scientific research in Ghana. Speaking uh, at the opening uh, session of the 33rd Biennial Conference of the Ghana Science Association at the University of Ghana, Professor Awandari indicated that President Kufuado uh, must ensure that uh, the operation of the fund is uh, you know, uh, put in place to cement his commitment towards the development of science education in Ghana. The Research and Innovation Fund, where operationalized, will support researchers, entrepreneurs, businesses to accelerate their progress. The fund is the main source of funding for the development of Ghana's innovation ecosystem. However, the government has not been able to operationalize the fund after Parliament passed the National Research Fund Act. Professor Gordon Awendari, Pro Vice Chancellor of the University of Ghana, says the president must operationalize the fund before leaving office. We also want to acknowledge the efforts of the president and um, his government towards the realization of the Research and Innovation Fund. This is an idea that has been talked about since I started doing research more than 20 years ago. Successive governments have promised and not delivered. This government went further by passing a bill to establish a research innovation, research and innovation fund. However, the fund has not yet been operationalized. Each year when the budget is read, I hope and pray that I will see a budget line that would operationalize the research innovation fund. We want to appeal to the president that this is an opportunity to cement his legacy by operationalizing this fund. Speaking on the theme, combating climate change, the role of science, technology, and innovation, senior lecturer at the Department of Agricultural Engineering of the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, Professor Wilson Ejari urged the adoption of climate-friendly technologies to reduce carbon emissions. Innovation, digital tools, 
and artificial intelligence should be geared towards enhancing adaptation and mitigation strategies. Collaboratively, we must support energy transition by decarbonizing energy production through solar, wind, nuclear, hydro, and hydrogen technologies. Electrifying transportation and agricultural sectors with electric vehicles, embracing green buildings and smart growth are integral steps towards a sustainable future. The conference brought together scientists from across the country to deliberate on how technology, innovation and research can be deployed to offer homegrown solutions to climate change and its effects. Honorary President of the Ghana Science Association, Dr. Michael Osai, called for support for scientists. Thankfully, the government has passed the Science uh, Research and Innovation Fund, but we need to operationalize that research and innovation fund to provide local funding. And I also call on industry, private sector, because if you are a farmer and you invest a little of your income into research, then research can develop solutions that you would face. But unfortunately, industry doesn't invest so much in research in this country. And I'll call on our, our industries and the private sector to also invest in research. So Prince Kwame Kudugesh report read to you. And now uh, Ghana's housing deficit uh, reduced by some 33% uh, from 2.8 million in 2010 to 1.8 uh, in 2021, partly due to the real estate growth and 72.8% increase in residential structures. At the State Housing Company Legacy uh, Courts Commissioning, Minister for White and Housing, uh, Francis Enzo Boachie, emphasized the uh, government's uh, role in supporting private sector in the construction of more housing units. We have more in this report. Ghana's housing deficit witnessed a 33% reduction from 2.8 million in 2010 to 1.8 million in 2021, partly attributable to the boom in real estate and a 72.8% increase in residential structures within the period. Speaking at the commissioning of the State Housing Company Legacy Courts, Francis Asensu Boache highlighted that government is going to be actively engaging the private sector moving forward. Government is not interested in directly developing and selling. The, the government's interest is to offer support to the private sector so that the private sector can develop. Can, can take the lead in housing construction. What the private sector lacks is the support from government, and that is what this government seeks to do by providing that support in the form of uh, um, subsidized uh, subsidies by providing free unencumbered land, which is important because you know how land is very uh, important in housing construction, and sometimes our land tenure system uh, makes it difficult for people to. Uh, access unencumbered land. But government is leveraging on public lands to do that. And one com big important component of housing development is what we call horizontal infrastructure, which is the roads you see, the curbs, the drains, the sewage, electricity, water. Government is also providing leveraging on its traditional responsibility of infrastructure provision to make sure that 
the cost of housing will reduce. So that when the private sector comes in, already the cost has reduced. Therefore, it will translate into the reduced prices for the workers who are interested, interested in owning their own homes. So that's exactly what we're doing. However, the managing director for state housing company, Kwabena Ampofuapia, indicated that the construction of the 198 housing units in Adenta would serve as a building block for constructing other housing units nationwide, adding that the various housing units will target mid-income earners and revenue accrued from sales will be used to fund the construction of other housing units. The concept of this uh, estate was to serve as um, uh, a support system for affordable housing projects. So uh, for those of you who are aware, we have an affordable housing uh, project under construction now in Pukuasi and also in Kufaridia and in other areas. So we built this uh, to sort of target the mid-income earners, uh, put a, a little bit of a premium on the pricing so that the revenues that we generate from such estates, we are able to push it to support the affordable housing initiative. That way, the government does not need to come up with any money for uh, the uh, our developments. This entire edifice that you see, we didn't take one one city from the central government. It was all 100% funded by the deposits of the buyers and also through our own internal generated funds. By rolling it out that way, we're able to also support affordable housing initiatives without necessarily relying on the government's support for money. We are focusing on the mid to low income uh, sectors for now. So if we say we're talking about low income, we're talking about people who are you know, uh, you know, lawyers, police officers, uh, nurses, uh, etc. Those whose income might not be able to, without uh, support or subsidy, will not be able to buy a home on their own. I mean, our research shows that in Ghana, about close to about 60% of the population will not be able to buy homes without some form of intervention from the government. So there are projects like the one in Pukuas, in Kofredia, and other areas. Those are the ones that we target. And we're able to do that because the government provides the off-site infrastructure, like the roads, electricity, and water. By so doing, we're able to save the cost and transfer those savings to the end user. Uh, this uh, developer that you see have zero government uh, uh, subsidy because, that, that, I mean, at least they are, we are targeting the mid-income area, so the government do, doesn't need to support them. So whatever that you see here, uh, they are paying the full price, plus the premium that I said, that we use to support affordable housing. And thanks for staying with us here on the Joy News uh, channel. This is The Pulse. When we get back, we'll be crossing over to Nigeria. Uh, today is Judgment Day as uh, the uh, courts in Nigeria will be uh, deciding on the fate of their uh, newly elected president, Bola Ahmed Tinobu, as we speak now. Uh, the court is still sitting and delivering its judgment on three separate applications before it. I will tell you what's happened so far and get you some updates uh, from Nigeria when we're 10. In partnership with National Theatre and Joy FM, Roverman Productions presents Naked in Bed.
an original Abel White play. Your mother said you are calling off the wedding. Where? My dress is ready and I must wear it. Drinks have been bought and I must drink it. Big men are coming and I must grab one. Where? I caught him in bed with my friend Mercedes. Jesus. No. She said Mercedes, not Jesus. Venue National Theatre. Date September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 8th, 9th, and 10th. Time one show on Fridays at 7 p.m., two shows on Saturdays at 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., three shows on Sundays at 1 p.m., 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. Rates 150 Ghana CDs. For tickets, dial star 365 star 535 hash. WhatsApp 050-554-6010 or visit all usual outlets. Sponsors, GCB Bank, Gino Tomato Mix, Ebony Condoms and M Notify. Roverman Production. Be the diff. The new football season is here and it's best seen on HD Plus in five times crystal clear images. See the new signings, jerseys, silky skills and great goals. Touch the DFB J1 League and the Argentina Copa de la Liga Profesional on Score HD Channel 151. The best of African football on JTV Sports Plus Channel 150. World football is best seen Philippines on HD Plus. Grab a coda and subscribe for three months at 85 Ghana CDC at HD Plus. See it feel Hello there. To provide timely information and to explain educational reforms and to discuss school models and interventions, the Ministry of Education, in partnership with the Teacher Education Journal, presents to you the first ever education TV talk show, The Edu Talk Show. The Edu Talk Show keeps you informed and updated on trends in the world of education. The Ghanaian teacher is so versatile. Provide him the opportunity, train him, and that teacher will perform wonders. Where are the women? They are doing very well academically, but they are not in the sciences and all of that. So technology is missing a lot more women that they could have had. You need to tell the parents, at the moment, what you are getting is, is covering only an aspect of your child's education. And therefore, it's very difficult for you to make any decision with the limited information you have. We still have more to do mm. when it comes to safe school. Mm. So join us as we speak to our guests on reforms taking place in Ghana's education sector. My name is Blessed Sugan and I am your host. Welcome to Tema, the industrial gem of Ghana. Attention all dreamers, investors and home seekers. Mark your calendar for the next clinic of the Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair. Imagine waking up to stunning waterfront views, basking in the warmth of sun, and embracing the comfort of a home perfectly tailored to your needs. Discover a range of housing options that cater to every budget and lifestyle, from sleek contemporary designs to elegant traditional architecture. The Ecobank Join News Habitat Fair has it all. But wait, there's more. This fair isn't just about buying a home. It's also about enhancing the spaces we live in. Get financial solutions to acquire furniture for that beautiful home, electronic devices, and more. Our dedicated team of real estate experts and banking partners are here to guide you every step of the way, making your journey to home ownership smooth and stress-free. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to make your dreams come true. Join us at the term edition of the Ecobank Join News Habitat Fair, where possibilities are limitless.
The Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair 2023 is powered by the Plant City Extension Project from Citizen Habitats and sponsored by... Sewa opened her first chop shop outlet in 2018. The former banker wanted to pursue something she was passionate about, so she turned to the food and dining industry. Chop shop was basically a side business. I mean, what they usually call a side hustle. You know, I took it a, a day at a time, obviously running on really limited resources when I was working in the bank. till um, I finally decided that the business needed me and so I had to move. The food and dining industry in Ghana is really competitive and some of the big names are foreign-owned. Sewa knew from day one she needed to have her A-game on the Joy Business Van this Wednesday on TV, radio, online and on ground. The Joy Business Van is powered by Joy Business and supported by Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank and MTN. What are we doing today? We take you now to Nigeria, uh, where one of the superior courts in that country is uh, now delivering judgment uh, for three separate applications challenging the election of Bola Ahmed Tinubu as the uh, president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. Uh, the images you see now on your screens are live pictures from uh, the courts in Abuja, which has been spending, uh, you know, the entire day delivering separate judgments on uh, applications brought before it by the APM, the PDP, and the Labour Party, uh, with its uh, presidential ca- candidate uh, Peter Obi uh, claiming victory. Uh, but it appears that uh, it's not been a smooth ride for the APM and Peter Obi's uh, Labour Party, as we are set also to get some updates on uh, the application brought by. Uh, the PDP. Uh, joining us uh, live from Nigeria now is uh, Shola Jayeshemi. He's uh, manager news and current affairs of the African Independent Television uh, in Abuja. Joining us uh, for uh, the latest. So, Shola, the pictures we see now on our screens, uh, of course, live images from the courts. The courts uh, delivering, you know, judgment on. First of all, the APM, which is a political party, even challenging uh, the membership. Uh, of the uh, vice president now, uh, Mr. Shatima. Uh, can you just give us a, a breakdown of some of the issues that we've been hearing so far, starting with the first application from the APM? Okay, um, thank you so much, President, and uh, pleased to have the, um, to be on your program today with regards to what's happening in Nigeria. Yes, the Court of Appeal, uh, which at this moment sits at the Court of First Instance, of presidential elections. It's been a very interesting day in Abuja, where I live and work. In fact, I was out today. I needed to get to uh, the immigration office to handle something personal. And I, and I passed through the precinct where this building is located. I'm talking about the Court of Appeal, the Abuja Headquarters Division, where the presidential election court has been sitting since those petitions were filed. Huge security, tight security, and you had two camps of um, support 
supporters of um, one of the petitioners and the defenders, you know, having drums, beating drums, and uh, making their presence felt with huge security around the premises. So the issues are clear. You mentioned them, President. Uh, the, the petitions filed by uh, the three parties. Uh, but the one I can quickly touch on has to do with what the court of regards to OB's petition, OB's um, alleged that uh, Shola, we, we, we seem to be having some challenges hearing you. If you could just uh, reposition yourself and, and, and come up a, a bit clear uh, for us. Uh, okay. the, the, the point okay. you're raising now is about uh, Mr. Obi? Exactly. That's the point I'm raising now about the Labour Party's candidate, Mr. Obi, a former governor of Anamba State, whose petition with his three grounds. One of the grounds is that the um, in current precedent, Mustafa Hatimbo, the all progressive government was not. The court has said, well, based on what they have before them, it was qualified to contest the election. The aspect of, um, of the number of votes, because Mr. Peter Avila has led, high neck at the electoral body did not come to That's the real time. So the court has ruled. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, what we need to do now is, is that we're, because we're having some challenges here in uh, Shola, we just uh, rework the lines and, and see if we can uh, have him speak to us uh, a bit more clearly. Um, Shola, let's try one more time uh, and, and see if you're a bit more uh, audible now. Uh, Shola, can you hear me? Um, we seem to be losing you intermittently. Too loud and clear, Blizzard. Okay. Let's try one more time, yes. Okay, so let me just run it through again, and if it's not clear, then we might need to. So the petition of Mr. Peter will be, he's raised many grounds, but the key among them are three. That Mr. Peter, Volatinubo uh, of the APC, the declared president, was not qualified. The court said he's qualified. That the um, evidence Mr. Peter will be put before the court was not justifiable. Things about um, him being a former counsel and all of that. Another ground of petition of Mr. Peter P. has to do that was concerned by valid nomination. And the court said he is validly nominated for Mr. Peter P. petition. And the third one which I'll focus on is that because the Labour Party has said the electoral body's inability to upload the results real time showed that there was malpractice. The court ruled that. That is not so, that INEC had a right to conduct the election, however it didn't speak. So those are the three um, aspects of self-inspection, which the court has said, well, Mr. Sabi has not proved all these allegations beyond reasonable. So at this moment now, the petition of the EPP, former vice president, Atikwambaka, is being heard. So we're following closely on all of this. Uh, there's a calm in Nigeria. I won't call it the calm of the peace of the graveyard. But everybody watching, all eyes are on Abuja with regards to this verdict of the Court of Appeal. And I want to emphasize this the final decision. Whoever is right with this, push the Supreme Court, which will now final verdict. Mm. To take that decision, this particular court has used the court allowed by the Labour Act to adjudicate on this petition. Pleasure. Mm. 
Okay, uh, Shola, we will definitely uh, reconnect with you. Uh, it, it appears uh, the phone lines are not too favorable this time around, but uh, we're grateful for the updates that you just brought us. Uh, now confirming to us that it appears that the uh, Labour Party's uh, uh, you know, case in court uh, will not stand simply because uh, of what we're seeing live uh, from Abuja as we speak. Uh, of course, uh, the delivery of the judgment uh, ongoing. We can listen in briefly uh, to this judgment being delivered. Uh, and then uh, get 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 uh, uh, to give you updates later on. But let's listen into you know briefly excerpts of uh, you know the judgment being delivered uh, on all of the three cases. Uh, it started with the APM, uh, then to the Labour Party, the PDP uh, case uh, judgment is also uh, being delivered. Now, illustrations were made. Yet it was not joined. The petition must also be struck out. Paragraph one thirty five and one thirty six of the petition were not challenged by first respondents, so they are hereby skipped. I consider this a convenient point to consider paragraphs 137 and 142 of the petition, which Leonard Senior Counsel to INEC further complained was also bad for non-joinder. Counsel's argument this time was that the, con the petitioners were also seeking in those two paragraphs to avoid the entire, to, to avoid the entire results of the presidential election in Lagos and Kano states, as declared by INEC, where Mrs. Peter Obi of the Labour Party and Rabbi Musa Kwakwaso of the New Nigeria Post Party scored the majority of lawful votes. Yet Peter Obi of the Labour Party and Rabbi Musa Kwakwaso were not joined to the petition, so those paragraphs were also bad and liable to be struck out. I consider this argument misconceived. In fact, it seems to overlook Section 134 sub 4 of the 1999 Constitution, stating expressly that, and I quote, for the purposes of an election to the office of president, the whole of the federation shall be regarded as one constituency, end quote. That is the position as it relates to a presidential election. Percentages of votes polled by presidential candidates in any of the 36 states of the Federation or even the Federal Capital Territory only become of consequence when the issue verges on whether the candidate returned also satisfied the provisions of Section 131B and 2 of the 1999 Constitution as amended, requiring him uh, to poll 25% of votes as in at least thirds of, in at least two thirds of the 36 states and the Federal Capital Territory. Outside of that, how many votes a presidential candidate polled in any of the states of the country is of little significance in an election petition challenging return in a multi-party presidential election. It certainly has no bearing on the question of who an aggrieved party challenging a presidential election return should join to his petition among the candidates that contended the election with him. As Section 133 of the Electoral Act, the only other candidate in the election the petitioner can properly join to his petition, the person returned as the winner of the election. See further on this, the cases of Buari and another versus Yusuf. Yusuf versus Obasa and Joe and 50 others. Obasa and Joe and Yusuf versus others. In particularly Buari and another versus Yusuf, where it was said by, and I quote, by the Supreme Court, where it was said that, and I quote, an unsuccessful candidate in an election cannot be made a party to an election petition against his will, end quote. We also do not agree with first respondent that paragraphs 141, 141 and 142 of the petition were or imprecise. I do not, sorry. I am rather of the view that facts necessary to elicit an appropriate response from the respondents of the electoral infractions complained of by the petitioners have been pleaded in those paragraphs. I, however, agree with first respondent that paragraph 143 of the petition, where the petitioner simply complained that first respondent deliberately and had wrong results. For 22 name states therein, paragraph 44, where they have that there were discrepancies on the on very large scale at the various local governments, local, various levels of recording and collection of results, 
particularly between the polling units and the world polling centers, without specifying the said polling units and world collection centers, where these said quote-unquote large-scale discrepancies took place, and paragraph 144, where petitioners gave notice that they would rely on their same flawed statisticians' report, among other documents, they did not front-load, are bad and liable to be struck out for vagueness. Paragraph 144 of the petition, where petitioners simply stated as ground of their petition, that the petitioners avowed that second respondent was at the time of the election not qualified to contest the election, not having the constitutional threshold, quote-unquote, that is all they said, it's also imprecise and vague as it gives no particulars of any of the several qualifying and disqualifying factors set out in sections 131 and 137 of the Constitution. Main purpose of pleadings as further fortified by paragraph 4 sub 1b e of the first schedule of the Electoral Act, we repeat is to properly and clearly inform the adverse party of the cases coming to meet so that he can respond appropriately to, to it. That is fair hearing. That requirement of the law does not permit parties to keep their cards face down, as petitioners did in paragraph 146 of their petition, when they simply avowed generally that a second respondent was not qualified to contest the 25 February presidential election without revealing in what form. So uh, what you see now, live pictures uh, there from uh, Abuja, Nigeria, where, of course, uh, the... Uh, Court of Appeal is actually uh, sitting on the case and delivering judgments uh, on three separate applications. Uh, we'll definitely update you on uh, subsequent bulletins, but that's all we have for you here on The Pulse. On the Join News channel, I'm Blessed Sogan. Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, it's not over yet because we have entertainment uh, coming your way uh, as we bring you Let's Talk Showbiz. Please stay. We'll be